It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, the Hawks get it done. For now, this is how the Hawks have to win and what I think that the Falcons are going to do coming up in the draft here over the weekend. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And we ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast from. You can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Then follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, really, the Hawks did something that we didn't really think that they could do. And look, again, unless you're blind Homer, the Hawks had a lot going into this game where they were certainly the underdogs going on the road. Celtics favored by 13. So Vegas thought that this was going to be a disparate game. 13 point underdog. Hawks go up to Boston and they find a way to get it done. Now they're down three games to two with a game coming up tomorrow night from State Farm Arena. And Janet Jackson and Ludacris probably aren't real happy. But anyway, Look, a couple of things about this game as we kind of look at it. So Trey was magnificent, you know, 14 for 33 from the field, 5 of 13. The shooting percentages don't belie or tell the story of what he actually did. Obviously, he hit the big 30-foot-plus shot to win the game, to seal the victory for the Hawks. He scored the final 14 points of the game for the Atlanta Hawks. In fact, he outscored the Boston Celtics 14 <clears throat> to six down the stretch. Interesting stat. Trey Young scored the final 14 points in Atlanta game five win over Boston. Since the 1998 playoffs, he's the he is only the fifth player to score his team's final 14 points in a playoff game. Another fun stat that came out of this game. Trey Young's go-ahead was the second instance of a player making a 30-foot-plus shot as the go-ahead shot in the final five seconds or the fourth quarter of, of the fourth quarter, I should say, or overtime in the last 25 years. The only other person in the last 25 years that has hit a 30-plus-foot go-ahead shot in the final five seconds or overtime was Dame Lillard with a 36-footer to eliminate the OKC Thunder back in game five of round one in 2019. So a lot of fun stats coming out of this game. I thought Bogey played really well. Obviously, he was in for DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter suffering the suspension. Thought Bogey did a, a really good job. 18 points, again, six for nine shooting, three of six from the three, hit free three, three free throws. 18 points, six boards, five assists. And actually, believe it or not, he was the highest plus-minus guy for the Atlanta Hawks. So he finished at a plus-11. <clears throat> uh, DeAndre Hunter was second with a plus-7. And then plus eight. he had the highest plus-minus of anybody on the team. 
But they kept scratching, fighting, clawing. They were down 13 at one point. They were down late, 106-96 in the game. John Collins hit a basket to get it to, I think it was 111-105, and Trey Young scored the final 14 points of the game. He outscored them 14-6 to against the Celtics. So they never quit. They never, they never gave up on this thing, you know, and, and we were kind of looking at that. Okay, they're down 3-1 in the series. This would be an easy game to allow to get away from the Atlanta Hawks. And maybe under certain other regimes or at certain other times, that would have happened for the Hawks, but not tonight. And hopefully, and, and this is something that Quinn Snyder can look to build on, hopefully that this is a sign of things to come. Hopefully that this is what the future is going to hold. Because one of the things Quinn Snyder has to do is change the mentality. Even if it's perceived, even if it's not necessarily true, it is perceived that this team doesn't care about the regular season or what have you. That mentality has to change. They have to find a way to make these guys believe that the regular season is important and seeding is important. It would be so much easier for the Hawks if you weren't eight, nine, on the road early, playing rounds, on the road to start a series. That would make life so much easier for the Atlanta Hawks. But alas, the last two years, they've been kind of stuck in this muck and mire position of being a 500 or just below team. And hence, they're the eight seed this year, nine seed last year. You got to win one or two play-in games. Then you're a big underdog against one of the top teams in your conference and having a fight, scratch, and claw for every victory. So I give the Hawks a lot of credit for the fact that they went up to Boston. They did what probably nobody was going to think that they could do. And I saw another stat, too, that said since 1990, so that's 32 years now, or sorry, 33 years, since 1990, anytime the Celtics were a double-digit favorite in the playoffs, they had won every single game up until last night. So kudos to the Hawks, kudos to Quinn Snyder, potentially changing up the mindset of this team. Let's hope that this carries over in the regular season. Let's hope that this carries over into next year. By the way, Collins, 9 of 18, 4 of 9 from 3. He had a couple of big threes early. He had a couple of big threes a little bit later. Kind of waffled in between there, but thought he played really well. 22 points, a couple of boards, an assist and a steal for John Collins. Now, we're going to talk in just a second here about the idea of it's still a certain way that they have to win, but you got some contributions on a night where really, too, you didn't get much off your bench. You got 24 points off your bench. They, they rebounded the basketball really well off the bench. They had 11 boards, and you by and large just played three guys because of DeJounte Murray being out. You played Aaron Holiday four minutes, okay? So I'm not even going to count him, but Johnson with 14 minutes, Sadiq Bey with 24 minutes, Okongwu with 27 minutes, obviously as Bogey had to be in the starting lineup. So your bench was short. You only scored 24 points, but you grabbed 11 rebounds, so they were good on that end of it. But you won in, you know, without having to get 50-something points out of your bench. And I thought DeAndre Hunter was one of the guys that did a good job on Tatum last night, holding him 8-20, 8-21 from the field, 
one of 10 from three. He struggled. He had 19 points, but he was a minus nine when he was on the court. So good effort all the way around for what this Hawks team certainly has the capability of being. And this is why having a summer with Quinn Snyder, you know, getting this roster right, whether Quinn Snyder is going to have a huge say or a little bit of say in the roster and the personnel and all this kind of stuff, it certainly does make you excited that, okay, maybe we're turning the corner. I mean, we, we thought we had this thing kind of figured out after the Eastern Conference Finals run, but again, things have to kind of reset and such. But hopefully with Quinn Snyder at the helm, that the mindset now becomes where we focus in on the regular season, we come out of the gate, playing strong, getting a good seed, making our life a lot easier. While this series is fun, I mean, it's certainly hard for the Atlanta Hawks. And it's certainly stressful for, again, where their position is in the community, that we have to go through all of these different layers, all of these play-in games and all this other kind of stuff, just to be able to get to a point where now we're looking at game six in the Eastern Conference, you know, first round and, and have a chance to maybe force a game seven. By the way, I do think that they are going to catch the Celtics on their heels tomorrow night. I think that that was a blow that the Celtics won't easily recover from. The idea of, okay, we punched you in the mouth on your home floor and we responded and we found a way to win because the Celtics weren't thinking about coming back home. Celtics were focused in on, mm, okay, we're going to get this thing done and wrap this series up and we're going to advance. And then, you know, we're on to greener pastures. Hawks said, <clears throat> Hawks found a way to get it done last night, 119, 117 behind such a strong performance from Trey Young. All right, let's talk about our friends over at Built Bar. Listen, you're looking for those low calorie, low sugar, low carb, high protein snacks, right? Whether you go the traditional route of just your regular protein bars or the protein-infused marshmallow puffs, Built Bar has got you covered. So you can go to Built.com, check out their newest flavors. I believe that it was peanut butter and jelly that they introduced just the other day. They've always got a new flavor coming out every month. And 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, whopping 17 grams of proteins, whether it's the uh, protein-infused marshmallow puffs, whether it's your traditional protein bar, you can get a combination of them either way, but obviously good, healthy snacks for you. And now besides going to built.com, you can head to the pharmacy section of Walmart and grab your box of built bars. Or you can also go to Sam's Club and pick up your built bars. So whether you go the brick and mortar route, Walmart, Sam's Club, you want to go that direction, or you want to just go online and order your built bars, either way, Head to Built.com or Walmart or Sam's Club. Pick up your low-calorie, low-sugar, low-carb, but high-protein snacks. Built Bar has got you covered. So I tried to explain this about a week or so ago to folks. And this is maybe not the way it needs to be. Maybe it's not what's best for the future and all this kind of stuff, right? But for right now, until I see differently, this Hawks team succeeds in one way and one way only. And that is Trey Young is the alpha male and the dominant force on the court. This is not about uh, getting other people involved and, you know, being, you know, off the ball or being non-ball dominant and all. 
That's all Mishkas. What did we talk about last week? The Hawks are now seven and four when he scores 30 points in a playoff game. They're five and 10 when he doesn't. Which one of those ones do you want? Do you want the 30 plus or the five and 10 when he doesn't? I know which one I want. I know that's an easy call. But when he is the alpha male and he's taking over the game and he's a ball dominant player, and maybe some of that was without Murray, obviously, because look, Murray's going to be back come game six. And maybe he goes back to that same kind of role. But these last three games have shown you that the way the Hawks win is for him to be that alpha male, for him to be the ball dominant player that he is and take control of games, especially in the fourth quarter. You know, that wasn't that wasn't exactly the best shot that he hit to seal the victory for the Hawks in that game, 35 feet away or whatever like that. But when he gets in that groove and that rhythm, he gets it done. And this is not, well, you know, DeAndre Hunter. Okay, DeAndre Hunter, when he scores 25 points the last two years, the Hawks in the regular season and playoffs are three and five. Three and five. Again, five and ten, three and five. Which one do you want? Do, do you want seven and four? So this may not be what is best for the long term where again, we're communicative, we're collaborative and all this kind of stuff. We get more people involved. He's not as ball dominant and this, that, and the other. But for right now, for the here and now, until it changes otherwise, the only way we're going to win is for him to go off, go crazy, be a dominant player, be a dominant, you know, be dominant with the basketball and take control of the game. This is not going to be about, well, you know, bogey can win this again. Because, look, when you get to the NBA playoffs, okay, if you're going to win a title, you've got to win 16 games in the NBA playoffs to win the championship, right? So let's take Golden State, for instance, okay? So 16 wins. How do you divide that up? Can, can Steph Curry win all 16 games in a playoff series? No, no, nobody's going to be able to win you 16 games. But can he win 12? Can he win 11 or 12 games? Yeah, he'd probably win 11 to 12 games if he has to. And then you get one or two games from a Clay Thompson. Or you get somebody, you get a Jordan Poole that one night just goes off or whatever like that, right? Let's take the Cavs in the old days, okay? LeBron could win you 11, maybe 12 games. Kyrie is going to win you one or two games. Kevin Love wins you a game. J.R. Smith wins you a game, right? You, you steal a game on your way to 16 victories for an NBA championship. Right now, the only guy who can even help Trey Young steal a game is DeJounte Murray. Not John Collins, not DeAndre Hunter. Those guys, that when, when they put up big numbers, we lose. We lose. Again, DeAndre Hunter, three and five when he scores 25 or more points the last two seasons and the playoffs, regular season playoffs, three and five. Which one do you want? Seven and four, five and 10, three and five. It's not hard math. And I understand that maybe in the long term, if we're going to win an NBA title, then there has to be a better distribution. But Trey's always going to be the most dominant player on the court. He's always going to be that alpha male 
for the Atlanta Hawks. And he can't do it by himself, and I understand that. But right now, as he goes, we go. It's that simple. As Trey Young goes, the Hawks go and follow. You can tell me about this guy's got a big night and this guy's got a big night. That game last night, if, if Trey Young doesn't do what he does, and, and, and look, this is a fun stat. So the next two highest field goal attempt guys for the Hawks last night were John Collins and DeAndre Hunter. They combined for 29 shots from the floor, okay? Trey had 33 by himself. In fact, if you take the next three highest shot attempt players, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, and Bogey, those three guys took 37 shots, okay? That's only four more, four more than Trey Young took by himself. That's how we win. It's not healthy, maybe necessarily. It's maybe not what's best for the long term. It's maybe not where we need to be and all this kind of stuff. But for right now, he has to be that kind of player. And he has to huck it up. And he has to volume shoot. And he has to volume score. And maybe he doesn't shoot all the prettiest percentages and all this kind of stuff. Hawk shot like 47% from three last night. He was only five for 13. But how do we win? We don't win because John Collins gives us a big night. We don't win because DeAndre Hunter gives us a big night. We win because Trey Young leads the way. And oftentimes that's the way it's it's on it's falling on his back that he's got to take us across the finish line. Like I said, I hope that changes. I hope Murray and Collins and Hunter or whoever's here at the end of the day that those guys become more of a complimentary piece and help Trey Young out more. But we're not winning Friday. And, and this is why I talked about this last week, that, hey, look, Trey's going to go. Trey's going to have to go for 30 and be dominant in that game on Friday. Trey did the same thing last night. He did the same thing in the loss. Didn't matter that DeAndre Hunter went for 25 or this, that, and the other. Doesn't matter. It's all about Trey Young. And I'll agree that it's got to change at some point just from the standpoint of you have to have more guys that contribute to victory, not just score points, not just grab some rebounds, not just, you know, uh, dish out some assists. You have to have guys that impact the game. And right now, Trey Young is alone by himself. Now, I think DeJounte Murray can be a guy like that. DeJounte Murray has certainly won us plenty of basketball games through the regular season. But again, this Hawks team goes as Trey Young goes. And as long as he's riding high, then we've got a shot to beat anybody. I don't care if it's Boston, Milwaukee, Miami, whoever. If he's playing well and he's the ball-dominant guy and he's getting away, you know, taking up the volume of shots, finding a way to volume score, that's how the Hawks win for now. Maybe things will change under the Quinn Snyder regime. Maybe things will be different going into next season. But for right now, we go as Trey Young goes. All right, we encourage you that once you listen to Hitting Hard, that when you're listening through YouTube, whatever your podcast platforms are, that please leave us a comment. We call it their everyday listener. So we're looking for our everydayers 
to be a part of our community. So if you listen in every day, go to the comment section of your platform that you're listening on and leave us a note that you're an everyday, as we like to say, you are an everyday listener. We thank you so much for being a part of this community and enjoying the ride with us here as we're now past the year and we're going into our second year, you know, headstrong into it. So we thank you so much for always being a part of our ever-growing community. So here's what I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to do in the draft. And I've said for a couple few weeks now, when I did my mock draft last night, okay, I don't do it based upon what the Falcons are going to do. I don't do it based on Terry Fontenot. I don't do it about Arthur Smith, Arthur Blank, anybody you want to associate with the Falcons organization. I do it based upon what I want to do, how I'm drafting if I'm in control of the ship. I'm piloting the ship, okay? So what do I think the Falcons do? I think, number one, they're going after a corner. And, again, we saw Casey Hayward get cut. Yes, they have Jeff Okuda. I think they're going to go young corner first and foremost, okay? Now, look, C.J. Stroud could fall. Maybe they pick him, you know? Um, I talked last time on a radio show about Peter King having B. John Robinson as the number eight pick. They could certainly do that. If you're talking about best uh, best player available, they could certainly go that route. But I think that when you look at whether it's Devin Witherspoon, whether it's Christian Gonzalez, they'll have their pick of one of those two guys. And those guys are the consensus, two best corners coming into the draft. And I think when all is said and done, that you're looking at, you know, besides just Mike Kuz and Akuda who we don't know a lot about, who we don't know whether it's a Cuda because of injuries and things like that. Can he play? Can he stay healthy? That's why I think that they go corner when they pick in the eighth round or pick at number eight in the first round of the draft. After that, I think they're going to draft a wide receiver pretty high. And, and I think that it could even be a second round pick at wide receiver. If they don't draft a wide receiver in the second round, then I'm looking at a defensive linebacker or edge player Somebody like a B.J. Ojolari, Aziz's brother, right, who played at Georgia. I'm looking at somebody like that that I think that the Falcons would target and find another pass rusher in the second round of the draft. And if they don't draft wide receiver in the second, I think by the third round they're drafting a wide receiver. Like they're not going to waste too many picks on drafting somebody other than a wide receiver. Like they're going to draft a wide receiver pretty quickly here. Now, again, I know we have a lot of angst because – they drafted pass catcher in the top four, the top eight the last two years. But I don't think they're going to monkey around and get too deep in the draft before they pick themselves a wide receiver. I think wide receiver is the play in the second or third round. Then after that, the Falcons don't, in this regime of the Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith regime, they don't draft offensive linemen all that high. They haven't invested a first-round pick in an offensive lineman. It's all been pass catcher, skill people. But I do think that when you get to the third, fourth round, that's where the Falcons will dip their toe into the offensive line sweepstakes. No matter what that is, I, I could say I could see guard, I could see center, tackle, whatever that is. You know, Jalen Mayfield was a third-round pick. So I think that when you look at this thing overall, that the middle rounds will be dedicated to your offensive linemen. And you're probably defensive lineman as well. You can always add one more pass rusher, one more defensive tackle, whatever, in the middle rounds of the draft, right? It's never too late to have one of those guys. I do think that they, at some point, take a flyer on a quarterback 
at the end of the draft. Now, I had Stetson Bennett in my mock and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's Stetson Bennett. I don't know if it's Jake Hayner. You know, maybe somebody like that. But I would not be surprised if they draft a young quarterback that isn't in line to pressure Desmond Ritter, but a guy that could probably be a practice squad guy, a guy that you could groom and mentor. And then in a year from now, if you don't feel confident about Desmond Ritter, could you have that guy groomed and ready to play? Uh, it would be a quarterback that probably wouldn't play a snap in the regular season. He'd see the practice squad and nothing else. He'd play in the preseason, but he'd be on the practice squad for all the year. And the only other thing that I think that the Falcons would look at is a running back somewhere in the later rounds. They hit a home run with Tyler Algier. And whether you want to tell me Cordero Patterson's on his last legs, Caleb Huntley is still out there. I think that I don't think I think more than it, it picked number eight in the first round. I think the Falcons, with the success that they had with Tyler Algier, they dip their toe in those middle to late rounds and find themselves a running back that they can groom and bring into the system. And maybe, maybe that's a guy that if Tyler Algier is RB1, maybe at some point you make him RB2. So take over for Cordero Patterson at some point in that RB2 spot, and then maybe play Patterson back a little bit outside. If this really is going to be his last maybe year in the NFL, or probably certainly with the Atlanta Falcons, maybe you use him in a different role. Maybe you use him on the outside. Maybe you put him in the slot. Obviously, he's been a receiver in the past, so it wouldn't surprise me if they draft a running back in that fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, well, not they don't have a sixth round pick, but fourth, fifth, seventh kind of round area and groom him and see what a player like that has. Again, they hit a home run with Tyler Algier, and that was a fifth round pick. So I think that they look in that point. But I think cornerback is still the play at number eight. And if not, listen, we may all be surprised. Come tomorrow night and they take B. John Robinson. And I'll be sitting here scratching my head like, okay, we've got two wide receivers and a, or a tight end wide receiver and a running back and we don't sack the corner. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll address all of that when we get to that point, right? We'll, we'll, we'll have that kind of frustration once we get to that point. So I think corners to play at eight, I think wide receiver, second, third round, I think a defensive end or tackle in the other spot. That's either if a wide receivers pick second, third round defensive end tackle, if a wide receiver is picked in the uh, third round, then uh, edge player, defensive tackle in the second. Those two positions will flip-flop. And then I think at some point it's a quarterback, and I think some point it's another defensive line player. Linebacker, edge player, defensive tackle, who kind of ever grades out the best of everything. So we'll see you tomorrow night. It all starts tomorrow night. NFL draft, I'll have some reaction and response to whatever the Falcons do at number eight. Good, bad, or otherwise, We'll be commenting on it. And then, again, I'm going to be up in Flowery Branch on Friday night for the second and third round. I'm going to be broadcasting from their new Ticketmaster studios up there. So I'll have firsthand coverage of what's going on out there. So we'll see what happens. But it should be a fascinating weekend as we get ready for another NFL draft. And hopefully, hopefully we find that defensive edge player that we've all been longing for.
All right, well, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Make sure when you listen into Hitting Hard that you go in the comment section, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast from, and leave us a message that you are an everyday listener. We call them our everydayers, and we thank you so much for being a part of our community. For Thanks for being a part of our audience, and especially thanks for being a part of this audience every single day that we are on air. So we appreciate it greatly. I ask you to follow me on my YouTube, on my uh, Twitter page at JMCH316. And of course, you can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube and listen uh, to wherever you find your podcast from. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. We'll talk to you tomorrow night as we get ready for the NFL Draft. John Chuckery, Hitting Hard, Locked on Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.